Pastor, Kevin, appreciate you all. You all can clap a little louder than that. As customary, I'd ask that you stand as the word of God is read. I'll be reading from the first chapter of John, starting at verse 35. And the text reads as follows. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. And they followed Jesus. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father God, I thank you, Lord, for um, your grace, your mercy that you extend to us, even when we don't deserve it. Father God, I'm calling on you right now to do the heavy lifting, to do what I cannot do. Lord, move me out of the way. May you increase while I decrease. Lord, I'm praying that your word would go forth with power, conviction. Lord God, that it would penetrate hearts. Lord, move your saints to change. And if there's anyone here today, Lord, that don't know you as Lord and Savior, I pray that this would be the day that they would come into a relationship with you. So, Holy Spirit, have your way in the sanctuary right now. In Jesus' name, let the church say amen. Amen. You may be seated. All right, it looks like we might have a little technical difficulty. The mic. We good, Roland? All right, guess we good. As noted in your bulletins, the title of today's message is, Lord, what's going on? <laughs> Lord, what's going on? Back in 1971, Marvin Gaye released a hit single called, What's Going On? You know, some of you young folks will probably have to Google that, figure out who Marvin Gaye was. But in that song, Marvin talked about a lot of the social ills that plagued America at that time. He talked about brothers dying. He talked about police brutality. He talked about the war and all those things. And it troubled Mar um, Marvin to a point where he had to ask the question, what's going on? And I think about some of the things that happen in this life today in the world, and it leaves us to a place as believers where we're saying, Lord, what's going on? I think in the world and also in our personal lives, I think about the recent uh, event that transpired, the tragedy that I say, as I was walking into the Pullman Center several weeks ago to watch Brock's baseball game, and Brock came up to me and he said, Dad, did you hear about Kobe Bryant? I said, what? What are you talking about? He said, he died today. And I said, son, that's not true. I didn't hear that. And, and as we walked to the concession area and they had the TVs up on the wall, the media began to report that, true enough, Kobe Bryant was dead. Not only was Kobe Bryant dead, but there were three 13-year-old girls, one which was his daughter. In total, there were nine lives lost in that tragedy. And you can't tell me that those families are not asking the question, Lord, what's going on? Help us understand how something could transpire. God, how you can allow this thing to take place. Lord, what's going on? Some of you all are here today, and you probably like me. You probably have a whole lot of things happening in your life, right? 
and you asking the Lord, what's going on? Help me understand, God, what you're doing, because uh, I don't know <laughs> what's happening. I don't know why we're going through these things, and I'm having a hard time trying to see your plan. I know you're in control, and I know for some of you all, that's probably not the most spiritual thing to say, to be here and asking God's questions. But we want to look at the book of Habakkuk today, one of the minor prophets, and he had questions for God. He had questions. So if you can open your Bibles there as we look at the word of God this morning. Habakkuk chapter one. If everybody's there, you can say amen. I know it's one of those books you probably don't read too often. So it's at the end of the Old Testament. If you get to the New Testament, you've gone too far. All right. The text reads as follows. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how, shall, how long shall I cry out for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? Why do you idly look at wrong, destruction and violence before me? Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Rebecca had some questions here. He was concerned because what was happening with the people of God, the children of Israel, uh, they had uh, what we would call a spiritual decline. They began to turn away from God. There was a lot of violence and injustice and things that had permeated the culture. And, and, and it left Rebecca to the place where he was saying, Lord, what are you doing? How do you idly stand by and allow this thing to take place? And he had cried out to the Lord on a number of occasions because in verse 2, it says, Oh, Lord, how long shall I cry out for help? Anybody ever felt that way? You're in a situation. And you said, Lord, how long will I be going through this? How long will I be in this place? I'm going to take this off, Roland, because we're getting some feedback up here. Bear with me. And he's saying, Lord, how long shall I cry out for help and you not do anything? I don't know if you all have ever seen this before, but I'm, I'm, I'm shopping sometime and I see the parent come in with their kid. And this kid is what we would probably call those back in the 90s, baby kids. Right. And the kid is walking down the aisle and he's knocking all the boxes off the shelves and he's eating the snacks and he's making all his ruckus and carrying on. And then he sees an item that he wants and he asks the parent for it and the parent says no. And then he falls out screaming and hollering. And I'm standing there watching this and I'm, I'm, I'm grabbing my belt. I'm waiting for uh, uh, the parent to do something. And they said, oh, Billy, it's OK. And see, that didn't happen when, when I was growing up. I got the nothing talk when, when I went to the, we went to the store with my mom. Don't look at nothing. Don't ask for nothing. Don't touch nothing because you ain't getting nothing. That was the talk that I got. This is kind of how Habakkuk felt. He was like, Lord, you allowing this foolishness to take place. How long before you do something? So he had some concerns and he cried out to God in regards to this. And, and some think it might be unspiritual to ask questions of God. I think it's okay. 
I think it's okay because here's the deal. God already knows how you feel. <laughs> and see, we serve a relational God. Once you're saved, you're not a robot where, where you press the button and you just do everything that we say. When you're in a relationship, that's communication. It's just like the, uh, uh, of the husbands here. How would you like it if you told your wives to do everything and they did exactly what you wanted to do, didn't ask any questions? How many of the husbands would like that? That's a trick question. That's a trick question, just so you know. I won't say who raised their hand. That's not right. <laughs> We're in a partnership. We're in a relationship. That's communication. Now, the husband is the head of the household, and if we come to an impasse, he has to make the call, but we are in a relationship. We're in a partnership. We're a team. And ultimately, God is in control, and whatever he tells us to do, we're going to have to do it anyway. But he doesn't mind us asking him questions. David had questions. Moses had questions. Paul had questions. The, the disciples had lots of questions for the Lord. Amen? So it's okay to ask God questions. And here's the thing. God actually answers Habakkuk. As we look at uh, verse 5, this is the Lord's reply to Habakkuk's complaint. Lord, I'm sorry, look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity goes forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They, they all come for violence and their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on, guilty men whose might is their God. What God is saying is that he's going to bring the judgment on the people of God, on Judah, uh, through the hands of the Babylonians. And I don't know if you all remember the, the Babylonian Empire. I had preached about this maybe a, maybe a couple years ago. And um, the kingdom of Babylon was one of the richest, right? It was one of the richest. And the way they became rich is that they were conquering nation after nation, and they would take the people captive and all of their resources, and they were a wicked people that didn't follow God. If you remember, Nebuchadnezzar, the king, uh, is going to leave this thing, and this guy was out of his mind. He was a narcissistic, prideful individual, and God dealt with him. And that's a message for another day. But this was the instrument. These individuals were the instrument that God was going to use to bring judgment on the people. Habakkuk didn't like this. This was even more dumbfounding to him. It's like, Lord, this doesn't make sense. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate your, your reply to me, Lord, but this doesn't make sense. Anybody ever been there where the Lord has told you something? It's like, Lord, this don't, 
I, I, I don't want to do that. There's got to be another way. This doesn't make sense. Lord, you're going to use a people more wicked than the people of Israel? And so Habakkuk launches his second complaint. In verse 12, it says, are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We shall not die, O Lord. You have ordained them as judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You are of purer eyes than to see, to see evil and cannot look at wrong. Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? You make mankind like fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook and drags them out with his nets. He gathers them in his drag nets, so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his nets and make offerings to his drag net. For by them, he lives in luxury and his food is rich. He is then... Uh, to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever. So what, what, what Habakkuk is saying is like, Lord, this doesn't make sense. The judgment that you're going to bring at the hands of the Babylonians doesn't make sense, Lord. These people are more wicked than your people. So how can you use that, a holy and pure God, that you would use these individuals to bring judgment on us? And so, Habakkuk, what do you do at that point when you don't like what God is saying? Do we take the Sarah approach and we do our own thing? How many of us have been there? And I could tell you how that worked out. <laughs> you don't even have to stand up and tell us. You don't do what God is saying. You don't like it. Hey, that's on you. God is still going to implement his plan. He still knows what he's doing. He's still in control. But I like actually what Habakkuk done. Uh, if we look at, look at chapter 2. And when I read this, I was feeling some kind of way when I first read it. I was like, man, this brother is bold. He said, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower. And I will look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. And so when I first looked at that, I was like, man, that brother is bold. They're like, man, I'm just saying, but he was expecting a word from God. And if you have the new King James version, it's, it says this in the new King James version, it says, I will wait to see when I am corrected. He knew that he was wrong. He knew that he was looking at this thing wrong, and he was like, I have to wait for the Lord. I'm going to wait until he replied to me to, to correct me on this thing. In the watch post, he said, I will stand at my watch post. And that watch post was a high point on the city walls or the tower that you would look out and you would be able to scan the horizon to see if danger was coming. I don't know. I kind of thought about that, and I was like, man, when the Lord is telling you something, you might not want to go run to somebody else. <laughs> you might just want to be still and know that I am God and really look to hear God. Where do you go to do that? I know Gary is going to get a kick out of this because he always teased me about 
Uh, growing up, I, I, I slept in the closet. We had too many people in our house, and my room was the closet. So I'm going to get that out of the way, Gary. You might want to go to the closet. You might want to get in your car. You might want to go somewhere where, where there was, there's no noise, or it could be just you and God and just wait for him to answer you. I usually go down to on 63rd by the lakefront. I got a bench that I sit on right off the river, the water right there off the lake, and I would just sit there. Usually when I'm, when I'm getting ready to preach or when I need a, really a time to really just pray and try to hear God, that's where I go and just sit there. Couldn't go there this week. It was a little cold and too many things happened. <laughs> so I had to use the closet, Gary. <laughs> Find your place. It might be different for you, but get away where you could really hear what God is saying. Block out the noise. The Lord actually answers Habakkuk again. In chapter 2, verse 2, he says, The Lord answered me, and the Lord answered me. Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run. Who reads it? He said, I want you to write down what I'm about to do. I want you to write it down and I want you to make it plain. Make it plain so it's crystal clear. And see what happens with a lot of us as believers, sometimes we go to seminary school and we come back using these big words to <laughs> start talking all of these, these, uh, these big terms where people can't understand. We were in a Sunday school class at the church that I came from, uh, Rochelle and I, before we came here. And the guy that was teaching the class, he was really deep. It was a young adult Sunday school class, but the makeup was Trinity students. And we had some guys that were just, they just got saved, literally like that month. And so he would be teaching the class and he'd be using all these words, the Alpha, the Omega, Omnipresent, Omnipotent, and Everybody would be sitting there going, what is he talking about? And so he, he and then he, he got to a point where he was asking a question, like, why don't anybody come to my class? And I had to tell him, I said, you too deep. You got to be able to break it down so the people can understand. God is telling Habakkuk, he said, here, make this thing plain. So when the individual reads this thing, that he will run. He will flee from the coming judgment. He will turn away from his sin. This is what he's saying. So don't complicate this thing. He said, write the vision and make it plain. Make it plain. For still this vision awaits its appointed time. To the end, it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. God is always on time. We feel like oftentimes when we're going through some things, we want to get through that thing fast. We want to get this thing over with. God said, hey, I got a plan. Just wait. Just wait. Be, be patient. I will not renege on my promises. Just wait. I got you. Hold on. And so he tells us to Habakkuk, he says, behold, in verse 4, his, his soul is puffed up. He's talking about those, those guys, the Babylonians. He says, it is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by faith. The righteous 
shall live by faith. And faith is, um, I consider faith like the fuel that powers the Christian life. Because here's the thing, without faith, you can't come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. You have to believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sin in order for you to receive salvation. So you have to have faith. And it doesn't just stop there. We have to live that thing out on a daily basis. We got to have faith. We got to live by faith. That means that I'm trusting God in the midst of things that are happening in his life. I'm trusting that he has a plan. He has everything under his control. The text goes on to read from verses 6 to 20. God begins to lay out the five woes that will, under, that will come upon the Babylonian Empire. He says, not only am I going to judge those guys, the, the children of Israel, the Babylonian kingdom is going to fall too. He been any nation that rises up and doesn't know that I'm God, it's going down. And he begins to lay that thing out in those verses. And for the sake of time, I won't, I won't read each one. You guys can read that later, but I do want to highlight verse 20. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before him. God is saying, be quiet. You see, I got, a, I got a divine perspective that you don't understand. I'm sitting on a throne. You can't see this whole thing uh, uh, from where you are. You're not privy to what I'm doing in, in, in terms of what's going on in your life. I got this whole thing under control. I'm looking about, and I'm not sleeping on the job. I'm at the control. I'm at the hymn. Let all the earth keep silent before him. If I could translate that in my Ebonics commentary, Lord is saying, shut your mouth. I got this. And for y'all, if you're taking notes, it's M-O-U-F-F, mouth. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's just me, Pastor. That's, that's, that's just me. But the Lord is saying, I got this thing under control. I'm, I'm, I got a perspective that you don't understand. I'm doing some things behind the scenes that, that you don't know. And I, I look at Habakkuk's response. He got it. Eventually, he got it. He got it. And if we go to chapter 3, it begins to lay out his prayer before the Lord. And he says in verse 16, I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound, rottenness enter my bones. My legs tremble beneath me, yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. He accepted what the Lord had said. He's like, Lord, if this is it, I, I, I'm terrified, <laughs> but I'm going to trust you. And this is some of the most powerful um, Scripture right here to me. I love these last three verses. If you don't get anything today, listen to this. In verse 17, he says this, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vine, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, there be no herds in the stall. 
Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. What he's saying is, no matter what happens in my life on the outside, it won't affect what's going on in the inside. If I lose my house, I will rejoice. I lose my car, I will rejoice. I walk into the office tomorrow and they fire me, I will rejoice. My kids go astray, I will rejoice. My family members turn their back on me, I will rejoice. No matter what happens in this life, I will rejoice in the Lord. And here's the deal. Here's why I can rejoice. Because God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like deers. He makes me tread on the high places to the choir masters with string instruments. That whole thing in terms of the Lord is my strength. He strengthens my leg. I don't know if we were at camp some years ago when we were kids, and I remember this, and we kind of laugh about this, and just tell you how you take a, a, a kid out of the hood, and you take him out to the wilderness and stuff, the woods. It's a whole different experience. And so we were going on a, a hike, and we saw all these deer in this field, and they were moving up towards this hill, and one of the guys yelled out, this guy named Ronnie Ford, he said, look at the big dogs. And we were like, so the guy was like, those are deer, man. It's like, man, we never, we never seen this before. So this was a whole new experience. And they were jumping, like jumping, like prancing around, jumping up and down. And when they saw us, they just took off up the hill. And I was amazed. And I, I, I look at, I thought about that as I was reading this. And it's like those deer have strong legs. They're, de they're designed to be able to negotiate the rough terrain. And as it says, this is here that the Lord would do that for us. He will strengthen our legs when the, the road gets rough. He will strengthen us. That we will be able to keep our footing. We wouldn't be able to fall off. He would keep us. So I think about this. Habakkuk got this thing. It took a little bit in terms of the dialogue that went back and forth between him and God. He got it. The man of faith, he received it. And at the end of the day, as I mentioned before, you're going to have to accept what the Lord <laughs> extends to you and say, this is the plan. But here's the deal. Sometimes he don't tell you what's going on. That's where that whole thing where you got to live by faith. You got to trust him no matter what. Amen. I know I mentioned earlier when I opened that our family has been going through a lot. And I've been trying to wrap my mind around what God is doing. And this really ministered to me. I apologize in advance because this message was more for me <laughs> than I think for you. I hope you all have been able to receive that, but I'm getting a glimpse of what God is doing. I'm beginning to see God is showing me some things. My niece came home from um, the hospital uh, Thursday night. And for those that you don't know, um, she was pregnant with her third child. And she began to have... Um, swelling in her, her legs, her arms, her face. 
So Rochelle and I went down to Carbondale to see her. And uh, we got there, and it was like, you know, she, I couldn't even recognize her. If they didn't tell me that that was my niece, I would have walked right past the room. That's how swollen she was. But she was communicating. And we prayed for We headed back to Chicago. We get a call a few days later that things went sideways. They had to take the baby and uh, do emergency C-section. Um, and that's what things spiraled out of control. They diagnosed her with lupus. Um, they had to do heart surgery. She had bacteria, bacterial infection in her blood. She contracted MRSA. Um, she had blood clots that she had to deal with. Then one of the last major things that happened was she had an allergic reaction to the medication that they had given her and all her skin began to peel off her body blisters and sores and all those things and to see what God did but God but God and as we were sitting there she came it was just her um, her mom and I was sitting in the living room Friday night and we had had dinner and everything and I told her I said do you know that you are a living miracle you should not be here today. You should not be here today. But God, don't you think that those doctors were the ones that saved you? It was God using them as his instruments to minister to you, to bring you back. You had a foot in the grave. And she kind of stood there and looked at me with this glazed over look in her eye. And she really didn't. And I'm... I'm I'm praying that the Lord is softening her heart. But what it did was I saw God do some things, not only uh, uh, with my family, but with my sister. There were, uh, Lisa Richardson isn't here today. My sister called me and said, Lisa Richardson reached out to me, lady from your church. Monica Thompson came by the hospital. There's some friends of ours from Rosen that lives in St. Louis went to the hospital to be with her, had lunch with her, brought her an umbrella, just refreshed her, prayed with her. People at the Ronald McDonald house ministered to her. They heard about her story and said, hey, can we come to the hospital and pray for you and your daughter? God is doing some things. I look at my family, we wound up taking her two kids in, and you all seen them probably running around in the back of the church causing a little ruckus, but it's been a blessing having them. I watch my kids love on them. I watch my sons sacrifice, giving up their room for those kids. Love them, love on them like they were their brother and sister, blood. I watch this take place. And I begin to see a picture what God is doing. I begin to, uh, me and my wife begin to grow closer as these things are happening. Watch my wife take on. I got the best wife in the world to take on all these things. A lot of people wouldn't have done that. So I see, I'm starting to see what God is doing in the midst of those things, the work that he's doing in me. He said, Brandon, I got this. I got a plan. 
I got this under control. Don't worry, don't get bent out of shape. Don't lose hope. Hang on, I got it. And I'm watching him doing some things. So I'm praying um, that the Lord will continue to work in my family. And some of you are probably here today and you're wondering like, man, I'm, I'm waiting on the Lord to answer my prayer. I read that bulletin and look at all the names that uh, are in there in regards to needing prayer for various ailments and things. Some people are going through some stuff and you don't even know it, but I'd encourage you to share that so we know how to pray for you. Amen? So I wanna encourage you this morning to let you know it's okay to have questions. It's okay to be frustrated. It's okay sometimes to even be mad with the Lord. Say, Lord, but just know that he has a plan for your life. He's in control. He's not idly sitting by and doing nothing, as it may seem that way. Your day is coming. Just hang on, saints. I think about the various situations I'm looking at right now. I want to tell you, God has not forgotten you. Amen. He hasn't forgotten you. If you need prayer this morning in this area, I want to ask that you stand. You want to say, Lord, I've been crying out to you. I've been waiting to be delivered from this thing. I'm going to serve you and trust you whether you deliver me or not. I'm resolved to rejoice no matter what befalls me. I will rejoice in the Lord. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father God, I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you for the opportunity to handle it. Lord, I pray for the saints that are standing, including myself. I stand alongside them, Lord, praying that you would strengthen them as they wrestle with waiting. They wrestle with the different challenges that they're experiencing and they're looking for deliverance. Lord, I pray that you would give them peace. Lord, I pray that you would come alongside and comfort them. I pray that you would encourage them, Lord God. I pray that you would give them a glimpse to see what you are doing. But I pray that most importantly, that they will live by faith. That's what we're called to do. And if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So, Lord, have your way in their lives so we commit this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, and you want to say, I want to take this opportunity to have a relationship with Christ, if that's you, I want to ask that you stand. Say, I want to trust Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. If not, we'll move forward. May God be with you. Amen.